My name is Chris Dornbos. I'm the CEO of E3 Lithium. We are a diversified lithium development company located in Alberta in Canada. Um, we bring a significant resource and a direct extraction ion exchange technology, uh, enabling us to produce from what we believe to be one of the biggest up and coming jurisdictions for lithium uh, globally. Chris, good to see you. It's been a while, uh, February, been. in fact, but you've been busy. Very busy. Um, a few things I want to catch up on you with, um, because obviously um, lithium prices, um, you know, continue to rise and surprise um, the, the markets. Uh, equities not doing so well. Uh, I'd say that you're on the moving sideways camp, which is probably a win in this in this market. Um, but, but some of the big things that happened since we last spoke, um, for instance, the uh, Imperial Oil um, deal. Why did you do it, and what exactly are you trying to achieve with that? Yeah, I mean. One of the benefits to this particular company, and one of the only companies, in fact, in this area, the only company that we could go to get this, is that they own freehold land. And in the States, um, this is a, a much bigger thing. Freehold land is much more common. In Canada, it's not as common, but there is some in our Clearwater Project area. And we approached uh, Imperial almost three years ago now. Uh, to discuss getting access to this freehold land. It's not necessary, but we wanted to make sure we secured that uh, land position. That evolved over time uh, to become what we ended up announcing, which was that it did include an option on uh, that some of that freehold land, which is really important for us um, because it consolidates a land position in our Clearwater area. So we did get that in the end, but one of the evolutions of the conversation was how can they help us? And so, they ended up on the register. They're now a 5%-ish shareholder in E3. Um, and they, they support the company in our development. And the reason why this is so uh, beneficial for us is that Imperial Oil, which is a 70% subsidiary, 70% owned by ExxonMobil, they discovered this aquifer in the 40s. And so they produced it in our area. They started producing it in the 60s for oil. They, they stepped out of it in the 90s because it was at the end of its economic life for oil. Um, and now you're seeing them come back into this historic aquifer for Alberta uh, for for lithium. And really, it's it's pretty significant because it did that discovery. It's called Leduc Number One. That well, and the, and the the derrick is still in the town of Leduc. Everything is named Leduc up there because it's so significant to Alberta because it started the oil rush. It brought the oil industry to Alberta and it, and created what it is today, which is a, a very vibrant industry. The benefit of this aquifer, though, is that the oil has been produced out of it. So we have lithium rich buying, which is pretty much all that's left. And so now we're transitioning that asset uh, into a lithium producer, which is very exciting. Obviously. Yeah. So, but, okay. So you, that's good for you. You can secure the land in a sense. Um, you've got some $45 billion Canadian dollar uh, well, in, investor, one one could argue loosely, um, but what are, what are they going to do for you? Is there anything that they can do for you to kind of help you, other than just be a five percent ish shareholder? Yeah, they they do help us on a regular basis. They have a lot of history, and, and it's focused mainly around the production, so the reservoir subsurface production of fluids from this aquifer. They have a lot of history, um, a lot of data, a lot of expertise. Um, so they are bringing that to the table for sure. And that was one of the commitments they made to us is to support the development. And really for a company like this, you have to imagine that, you know, they don't make big moves quickly. So, you know, this is a really good for them way to get uh, an understanding of this. So that's what they're getting out of it. They get the understanding of how lithium will operate 
uh, in this aquifer. And from that perspective, it allows them to make a more informed decision. So we spend time with them, giving them a bit of information, but they're also obviously assisting us in terms of developing our, what we call our aquifer management plan uh, to, for the development of this resource. Is there any sort of um, aspect of, of shared infrastructure, shared resources, whether, whether it be p people, equipment, et cetera, to, or is it just these purely standalone agreements? You do what you do and they'll do what they do in terms of operations. There, it's, it's loose right now. There's no commitment on either side. Um, but they do have a lot of infrastructure in Alberta. Um, they're not producing out of this particular aquifer anymore, but they've got surface infrastructure in terms of gas plants, um, treatment plants that, that could be utilized. Again, no hard commitments on any of that, but it is something that we talk about. Um, and, and in terms of just understanding, could it work? What facilities are there? They're definitely providing um, that assistance and that information to us. Right, okay. And what we're seeing elsewhere, um, in, in the world with oil companies is they're looking at their own portfolios and adding to them in terms of you know, ba battery um, metals you know, broadly because they, they want to have a slightly different look and feel. There's a lot of you know, negative uh, campaigning by minority groups uh, you know, to start fossil fuel uh, campaigns. Um, what does this do for them? And in that same context, the problem that they're trying to solve, or potentially trying to solve in terms of you know, greening up their portfolio, are there any obligations on your part about the way that you go about doing your business in terms of its ability to potentially either enhance or damage their brand? No, I mean, the, the, in that sense, we're, we are separate. We're two separate companies and, you know, th this they are a shareholder, but that's as far as it went in that regard. So, you know, I, I think that there is obviously, and even the CEO of Exxon was that same couple of days that we announced this deal, They he was recorded talking about the transition of Exxon and and the loss of revenue from transportation fuels as the EVs take hold. So, you know, there is a movement within that company and, and that's publicly obvious with, with the information they're putting out to, to work on this diversification. Um, and so, you know, it, it's just, it's a small investment, but none of these relationships start um, in, in a big way, generally with these big companies. And they're looking from a holistic perspective from our, from what we're seeing. So, so we're excited to have them along and, and, um, and they're, they've already been a, a pretty big beneficial help to the development of, of some of the aspects that we've talked about, including that. Aquifer. Right. Okay. No, I appreciate that. And look, I know it's slightly uh, old news in the sense that we, this was announced back in, back in July, but, um, I haven't seen you since February. So I wanted to try and understand what, you know, how you can utilize that and what the potential future benefits could be. And um, the other thing that you've done is, um, triple the size of the inferred resource, which is pretty punchy. That was, that was good news. Yeah. We, that work came out of, uh, something that we started a year, a little over a year ago to, get our uh, measured indicated upgrade. So as you transition all of these resources in the mineral space, you infer, you produce an inferred resource and then you do a bunch more inf uh, information gathering, you increase the confidence and you upgrade that to measured indicated and that enables you to book a reserve under proven probable. In that work, what we realized is that we, well, what, what we did is we gained a, a lot uh, greater understanding of the aquifer. And so with that, there was some realization of some things that we could do to improve um, the resource estimate. We, we had more data, so we expanded the aerial extent. Um, we changed some of the ways that the uh, previous QP was, our new QP changed some of the ways the previous QP was looking at it. Um, and from that perspective, you know, we now have this Bashaw district. 
And it pretty much spans from here in Calgary all the way almost to Edmonton. It's 160 kilometer long aquifer. And the aquifer is well understood. It's been drilled over 4,000 times from oil and gas exploration. So there's lots of geologic data. And that's what our team was doing. Because in Alberta, after a year, that data becomes publicly available from the government at per, by law. So we then have the opportunity to go after all of that data, analyze it, and that's what we've been doing. So we, we've taken all this publicly available data, we've interpreted it, done the geologic work, then we did the reservoir work, um, and, uh, and that has increased our understanding and that led to that increase of resource. The next step for us, which is coming fairly soon, is uh, the 43101 for the M&I. And the, the key pieces that we were missing from that were um, sampling from the area that we actually plan to produce from. So when you look at the perspective, we a lot of the data we had was from where the oil and gas was produced historically, but that's not where we wanna produce from in our commercial environment. We wanna be in what we call the platform or the center of the, of the aquifer. And because the oil section was very, very small uh, strip along the top edge, what we call the trap. Um, but, the, but the brine exists across the entire aquifer, which is 45 kilometers wide. So we drilled three holes, two holes, and we've acquired a third hole that sampled areas that have never been sampled. And those results are coming pretty imminently in terms of the grade of lithium. I mean, we're very excited about that. And so when you look at that, um, that enabled us to see we have now a full vertical profile of lithium grade. We have it in across a, a much broader area. And then we conducted a production test. We actually put that announcement out today, um, talking about the results of that production test, confirming what we expected to see in terms of the ability to produce fluids. And those are the two pieces we needed to move this confidence from inferred to MNI. So now that work is work is going on with the qualified person, the QP. Um, at our uh, consultant firm, taking that data, working with us and, and completing that upgrade resource. So lots of work happening there. Okay, that's, that's interesting because that's where I wanted to go with you next because you, we've seen, you know, I mean, read up on this obviously before we, we spoke, there's, there's lots of sort of small bits and pieces moving around, you know, like the acquisition of the Clearwater um, royalty and, you know, the um, technical report on Bashaw District and, you know, it, and, and sort of, it's sort of like housekeeping in a way. I wanted to understand what the, what the big moves needed to be because obviously the tri tripling of the um, of the inferred resource number, fantastic. But you know, if I refer you back to your own PowerPoint, where you talk, you talk about you know the, the, the PEA, you know it's you know and, and you even I mean it's refreshingly honest. You know, you know there's no certainty of the the Clearwater project outlined by the PEA will be realised, right? You, you're saying it's it's just not enough right now. Uh, the certainty levels are low. So what you're talking about doing is moving the project along meaningfully with this 43101 and, and, and up into the M&I. What more do you feel you're, you're going to need to do to kind of give that kind of certainty back to the market? Markets, are, Equity markets are tough at the moment, but you can, you can have to say this is a project which will get an economic production at some point in the future, we have advanced this meaningfully. When we spoke last, I think the, one of the big issues was around scale. And you made an announcement around that, being able to produce at scale. So w why did you feel the need to do that? Yeah, I think when you talk about increasing the, the path that a company like us is on to get to a commercial production, it, it really is just simply checking off the path to reducing the risk fundamentally. So when you go from an inferred to measured indicated, 
you've reduced the risk because you have more confidence in your data because you've done more work on it. The same thing when you produce a pre-feasibility study from a PA, right? You now have booked a reserve. You've taken a, a design that was done desktop. You've done a lot more testing. You've done a lot more design work. Now I have an engineered design that enable that is you know where uh, much more detailed enables you to actually cost that much more accurately. So the cost estimate in a PA is plus minus fifty percent. The cost my cost estimate in a pre-feasibility study is twenty to twenty five percent. So it's just about increasing information, increasing understanding confidence and decreasing risk. And that in that is applied to the, the direct extraction technology that we're developing. So what is proprietary to E3 in our direct extraction is the material that takes the lithium out of the brine. We sometimes refer to it as absorbent. It's an ion exchange material um, that we have developed. And when we and now in, if we look back to June 2021, we announced that we have completed the research and development on this material. And from that point in time, we started working on two important things. One is how we scale that production of that material so we can produce it in a commercial way. We can have enough of it to run a commercial plant. And the other is that we have to develop a process by which we interact the water and the, and the material. And in the world of, of process design, in the ion exchange world, which is what this is, that's called solid liquid separation. And so we ha you have to have a process that you mix the brine with your solid, which is the absorbent, and then you strip it out again from the brine, and then you mix it with your desorbent fluid to get the lithium off, liberate the lithium, and we make a lithium sulfate. And then you want to cycle back with brine again. So you're basically um, always mixing with water and then trying to get the water out of the material, and then mixing with water and trying to get the water out of the material. And that process you want to do at large scale. So the two pieces of this obviously need to get to the point where you can design and build something that operates at a, at a producible scale that makes a, an economic project. We're aiming in the PA, we outlined 20,000 tons, which is really just phase one. It's just the start of what we can do. But the, the first project's always the hardest. So that's what, you know, you do that one, you spend the time getting the first one right, and then you, then you can expand, right? So when we put the announcement out about the scale up of the Zorbent, what we're talking about there is we had spent the past year developing a process with a technology vendor. So someone who just makes equipment, that's all they do. They just manufacture equipment. And we worked with them to find a way to manufacture our material with their equipment that would be commercially sized. So the rate that we can now manufacture this material is about one ton an hour. And that's important for us because that is commercial. So we will manufacture this material with this uh, technology, this equipment vendor for the pilot. We're talking about 750 kilograms of the material that we're going to need for the pilot. So we will manufacture with them. Um, and then when we go to a commercial plant, part of the design will, will be this company designing this equipment so that they can, we can produce this material on site as we need it for ourselves. So in that sense, we've checked the commercial, uh, commercial ability box for the manufacture of the absorbent. So the last piece that we have to scale is the process, the solid liquid separation. Right, but you, you, you're talking about commercial in the sense of the, the, the volume that you're gonna be able to produce that. When do you kind of move towards trying to understand the economic component to this? You do that um, in, from our, our perspective and the way that we look at economics is we do it in lockstep. Every time we make an advancement or we look at a different type of technology or a different process, we're assessing it from an economic standpoint to make sure that we're not missing something. So 
as we develop all of these pieces that get put into a process flow sheet, which is, you know, uh, generally refer you refer to process flow sheet as something that is the entire um, pieces of equipment stacked together that go from a lithium molecule in a brine in an aquifer to a lithium molecule in a hydroxide at battery grade, right? And so each of those pieces that need to be put together, right, in that process flow sheet, we evaluate every single one of them and the economics that it's going to cost us as the as the information comes in. And, and at the end of the day, when we produce the pre-feasibility study, which we're aiming to have out in, in 12 months, plus or minus, right, that is the accumulation of all of those pieces and then testing those in a line to make sure that you can take it from one to the next to the next. And then you're producing a battery grade product. You're applying a price to that product, which now is spot pricing at $75,000 a tonne from what our PA aligned at $14,000 a ton. So the value of the product is, as you mentioned earlier, has, you know, gone up quite significantly. So anyway, so that's sort of the fundamentals that we're working on right now. Every time we work on something uh, and we nail down that piece of the process, it adds to the, the confidence, it adds to the pre-feasibility study, and then we produce the report once it's all together. So given the environment that we've all been working in and, and living through rising costs, et cetera, across the board, have you had to adjust or have you tried to adjust um, your own technology? I reduce the amount of moving parts as it were. Can, can you keep the cost down? Um, because you know your your absorbent technology, your ion exchange technology, is is just you know part of the solution. All of these outside factors, you know, driving your costs up must be a concern. So, have you been able to do anything about that? Yeah, I think one of the ways that we're looking at this is, you know, manufacturing it ourselves. So, if, if we if we do as much as we can ourselves, there is an increased capital cost, but there's a lower operating cost, and and the operating cost you you have for the entire life of the project, the capital costs you only have once. And so you look at it from a, a cost balance, right? You look at the, the cost benefit of uh, uh, increasing capital to decrease operating costs and you run those economic scenarios. But I think it's important to keep that evaluation. Our perspective right now is that um, the majority of this, if we do it ourselves, is going to be overall the more economic scenario. Um, it's certainly the, the PEA prices um, are 2020, the pre-feasibility study that we put out will be up to date 2023 prices. So there will be some accounting for any inflation that has occurred for pricing of equipment uh, in the pre-feasibility study. So that will be up to date. At this point in time, it's too hard to predict because there are things that are going to be much less money to build than we predicted and some will be a bit more. And so right now we're seeing it just as a wash. We're sort of estimating that it's going to be about the same, but that that information gets published publicly in the pre-fees and then the market can see exactly what that impact would be and what the economics stand out to be. Okay, and so again, flipping back to the conversation we, we had at the beginning of the year, you know, there's discussion about potential li licensing of the technology, but right now you need to kind of prove it yourself and then the market that it can be done here. So I'm assuming there's no line item uh, in there for licensing yet. Not yet, no. And, right, and okay, it'd probably okay. not be in the pre-feasibility study because that's going to be a standalone project. Um, but we, we are looking at it. The, the, the way that we view licensing the technology is that obviously us first, because we need to develop a project. And the real value for us is in the molecules of lithium in the aquifer and not the technology. But the technology is obviously key to enabling that value, right? 
So we're going to, we have developed now in-house expertise. We have, we're building these systems, these process systems. And when we get to the point where we start building the pilot, the thing that's going to go to the field, we will have in the lab that exact same system operating because we need to have it for our own testing. And we'll have the staff that understand how to operate it, understand how to do the evaluation of different metrics as it relates to people's brines. So we can start in real earnest, bringing people's other companies' brines to Alberta, to, to Calgary, testing them, and then outlining what they look like. And the benefit to having an operating pilot is that you can do the translation. You can say E3 is this to this in the pilot. So you, we would expect this to this in the pilot. And that enables them to make informed decisions. Do they want to pilot the technology as well, right? Because that's a big decision for a company to invest that capital and that money in, in a pilot. So they want to be as informed as possible. So that that uh, opportunity is coming for us, um, but we're, we're holding off at the moment. Um, we've only tested a couple other companies, Brian's that we have a very strong relationship with. Um, otherwise, everyone else were just saying, you know, when, when you see our pilot go out, that's the time to come talk to us about uh, doing some testing. Right. Okay. Okay. So they'll have a obviously different business model to yours, but um, okay. But th that's fine. I want to talk about money. Uh, money's always important on these things. Certainly, in moments like this. Um, you know, I want to understand. You know, what have you got? What's it going to take you through to? And obviously, maybe if we could sort of lead into some of the um, money that seems to be swishing around from the U.S. government, IRA, etc. Uh, companies taking advantage of that situation. So you know, again, how are you playing? the capitalization of, of the, all these programs? Yeah, so we've got uh, about $14 million in the bank. We have about $5 million of warrant exercises that are uh, expected all in the money between, I think the last ones expire Feb 11. So maybe we get some of that in. Um, in, in terms of uh, grant funding, um, there's a big opportunity in the States, but in Canada, we'll focus on Canada for a second where we are, there's also an equally big opportunity for grant funding. So there's grants being provided to our peers through the Strategic Innovation Fund. So Rio Tinto, GM have gotten funds from Strategic Innovation to develop um, these types of things. They're not all critical minerals, but decarbonizing the supply chain of some fashion or advancing critical minerals or something like that. So, so there's capital uh, out there. That's not that those funds that are being awarded right now are not included in the $3.8 billion that the federal government in Canada have outlined to support the critical minerals industry. And so there's probably going to be, and it's, they're still deciding what programs and how to, you know, what the, what the criteria is for that, those funds at each level, but a billion dollars is for infrastructure of that capital. And then there's some allocated specifically for new technologies to advance critical minerals processing and get critical minerals out the door, which we've certainly slot right into. So again, we haven't seen the programs published yet, but that $3.8 billion is there. Um, and then you look at the US. So there's the uh, Defense Act and the uh, IRA, the Inflation Reduction Act. The viewpoint from those uh, that funds from those organizations is that Canada's critical raw materials are domestic North America. And so from that perspective, those funds can flow into Canada. And there may be some strings attached and, and we're still in conversation with those groups to understand what the, the 
quid pro quo on that would be, and it's probably the lithium might have to go into the United States, which is our biggest potential customer anyway. So that's not really a hamstring, but it it may actually that that's sort of the thing that we might be expecting. Again, we're still we're still figuring all this out um, as this, the money starts to flow to Canada because the, the U.S. just put out two point eight billion dollars into the U.S. for U.S. companies, um, but now they're now they're actually actively looking at at coming north. So um, I've never seen it in 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 my entire career where there's a, this much available capital flowing into the space. I mean, even the OEMs are supporting the critical minerals that the raw material industry and you're seeing them with big dollars 300 million from ford you know it, it's it's there the opportunities are there so for us I, I don't think that capitalizing this project is going to be the big concern for us the stock is the stock prices in the critical minerals as you mentioned they're they're misaligned with the prices of lithium today uh, but there's all sorts of macro factors in the market that that can be a cause for that. But I think what that means is that, you know, last time we saw a lithium spike, uh, the 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 market responded, and then um, the the lithium price fell, and the market responded there. This time, the lithium price has not fallen. This time, the fundamentals of the industry are propping up the lithium price, the scarcity of supply, and so. As projects like ours advance, um, as we've talked about, you know, checking the risk boxes so that we can move the project forward towards commercial operations, um, you know, we expect that we'll be able to fund it and therefore we will advance the project and that will gain market value inherently. And it's always cyclical. It goes up and down, but but we expect to see that come through. Yeah, 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 we cycle in, we cycle out. It's, it, it, it'll be fine, I'm sure. But it, I, I'm sort of amazed at the kind of disconnect between, I was at a dinner in London last night, it's LME week over here, and you're talking to bankers, talking to industry players, and they are gearing up. They are gearing up and ready for this, what what, what they think is gonna be you know, one of the strongest kind of bull markets for battery metals broadly um, at the moment. Equities don't seem to have got the memo, though. So how do you put your company in the best position? Because I think you started from a point of view, people didn't really believe that DLE would work. It's a very you know, technical problem to crack. Um, you have you know, been moving this thing through the phases, but what, else, what, are, what are the next big things that you need to get in place that you think people are gonna pay attention to when we kind of invariably cycle out of uh, this um, you know, off market that we're in at the moment. Yeah, I, I'm hearing the same thing. A lot of people are just sort of like the foot's off the gas for the fall, but in the new year, you know, there's a lot of expectation that these things are going to start to move back. And um, from our perspective, the next 12 months are, are pretty substantial for us in what we're doing. And, and so, you know, you, you translate that to, to however you like in terms of the value of the company. But the big thing in my mind that the market is waiting for is us to pilot this technology. And we are not that far away from talking to the market about what that pilot's going to look like, when it's going to operate, how much it's going to cost. And, and that is fundamental because that we're, go, we're not going to do that till we're 100% certain that A, it's going to work and B, the time frame is achievable. And so, and that's why we're, there's a bit of um, why it hasn't come out yet is we're just making, you know, making sure it's rock solid 
before we, we put that type of announcement out because you don't come back from that, that type of announcement. And it's imminent. It's, you know, it's coming very soon. And imminent is for us is, you know, the next three to six months that that, that is out. And considering we've been working on this tech for the past six years, you know, it, a couple of months is such a small time frame for us because that really what that means is that we've made the full commercial decision that this is the process to make the Zorbit. This is the process to operate it again, the solid liquid separation side of things. We've nailed it down and we're moving forward. And that means we won't change it, right? We will, that will be the design you'll see in the pre-feasibility study. That's what we will be piloting. And then that's what the detailed engineering design will encompass when we go to design the actual commercial plan. So it's, it's, it's a big decision and we're, we're very close to making it, which is incredibly exciting. Um, and I think the market will respond to that because I think they are waiting for it. They're waiting for us to, to show the market that we have these things checked off. Um, the other piece of this is that the M&I comes out, hopefully as well in that same sort of time frame, three to six months. Um, and, um, you know, those two come together to, to produce the pre-feasibility study. And there's other little things that are going to be happening. Like we're going to be producing lithium hydroxide at battery grade, hopefully in the next six months or so. Um, and that's going to be coming out to the market when it, when we have those results. Um, and, and the hold up from that happening is that we need the, the, that decision on the pilot, whatever that is, that machine will then make lots of our concentrate and we will ship that concentrate to these companies to start doing the development testing required. And that result of that testing is battery grade lithium hydroxide. So an, another thing that's being held back right now from marching forward is that side of things because we are, again, we need to know what the process is because that process needs to generate the concentrate, this lithium sulfate that we convert into hydroxide. So a lot of things are sitting at the start line right now, ready to go. But once that, that gun goes off and we're moving, we're not stopping. We're going right to commercial, right? And just going through the normal steps that companies go through to get there. So it's a very, for me, having worked, you know, founded this company and been working on this for the past six years, I'm very excited about the precipice that we're standing on right now in terms of really moving this this whole thing forward. It, you know, it's, it's interesting. You're sort of moving to the place where you're almost a tech, well, potentially a technology company rather than in the kind of broader mining category, as, as it were. Um, so, so that is exciting. Um, just, just in terms of, the I get your, what you're going to do, um, and I think you've given us a bit of a clue of what you think the market's going to do in the new year post you know, tax loss uh, season, et cetera. So your message to current shareholders or people looking into you um, is what? In the context of, I think, people are looking for realities rather than promotions. They're looking for fundamentals. They're looking for groups, assets, teams who are going to deliver. So you just maybe tell us why you think you rather than any of your peers or the, or the next guy down the list? Yeah, well, I mean, looking at us maybe just in a vacuum, we, we have always delivered on our promises. So we are not a promotional company. We are really at out here to develop a nascent lithium industry in Alberta. And new technology development takes time, but that time is now behind us. So the benefit that shareholders have is that the real things that have moved companies in a real way in terms of their valuation. And you can look at any of our peers, Standard Lithium, Lake Resources, Vulcan, those things, if you just look at their stock chart and look at what are the announcements that they put out that have really moved 
and catalyze that stock to to create value. And they're all sitting around a billion dollars plus minus right now. And we're 150 million. Those things we are about to accomplish. So that's the message really to shareholders is that we're here doing it. We have a we have a 28 person staff um, working every day to make this happen for our shareholders. And and that success when we achieve it, should we achieve it, um, is going to result in our minds in a value increase, you know, relative to what we see on the market, which is our best is our peers, what they what has created value for them. So I think it's a really good time. You know, we're going to we're going to weather a bit of a storm here over the next couple of months. And I, we've done really well so far, especially relative to our peers. If you plot the last six months between us and those those peers I mentioned, you'll see us outperforming all of them. And I think what you're starting to see, therefore, is that valuation gap just starting to close. And I think as we when we get into this bear market or this bull market that you're talking about, that you're hearing about, we're hearing about it as well. Like that's people are just waiting right now to see the movement. And then I think you're going to just see the pile on. Um, and it happened in, in February of 2021. Every single lithium company that was out there doing something and us as well had our, had their highest of highs in February of 2021 because the market just came in in a fury. Um, and so I think that that, you know, without trying to predict too much, I think that there is going to be a movement back into these stories. Um, and I think we're, we're one of the better ones out there, you know, fully biased, obviously, because it's my company. But we, uh, you know, we've worked really hard to get to where we are and, and we're about to hit some major success. We're very excited about it.